Let's pray together. Our God, we give you praise tonight, for we know that you never let us go. And we have seen that this week as students have lost grandparents and have traveled home and at the start of the year it's hard to know whether to go home and how long to stay and yet it's so important to be with family and so we lift up our brothers and sisters who've already made it home for funerals this week. We thank you for the promise of the resurrection that restores them and helps their families through a season of grief. We thank you for your care for things that could have been a lot worse. We think of Marissa and Malia's sister, Kendra Walters. She's in a very serious accident this week, and we praise you that she was in surgery, and she's well, and she's home, and she will heal. We thank you for your hand of protection over her. And as others of us are already fighting colds and sinus infections, we are very aware of how frail our bodies are. We thank you for creating us to be people who can, can heal and be resilient. But we also pray, Lord, that you give us the wisdom to make good choices, to sleep, to eat good food, to be in community with people who will tell us to sleep and eat good food. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, that there are others who will care about us and will pray for us we thank you for holding us together as a community through prayer. And as we move into a week of 24-7 prayer, Lord, we do lift this time up to you. We pray that you will come, Holy Spirit, in a mighty and powerful way on this campus, that in our times in individual prayer and corporate prayer, we are experiencing afresh the light of the world that is Jesus Christ. We pray that as we kneel before you, we remember who we are and whose we are. We remember who this campus belongs to. And we pray that you will come in a mighty way. We pray for those who are hurting, for those who are lonely, for those who are unsure about whether or not they can make it here. Help us to keep them in our prayers this week, and may this week of 24-7 prayer help them in ways that they cannot even imagine right now. And God, we pray for our campus as we have many who are traveling. We think of our off-campus programs, and we ask your protection over them. Help them to have fun and to learn to be safe. We pray for our athletic teams and our music ensembles as they travel on tours and go to away games. We pray for safety for them. And we pray that in all the opportunities we have to go off campus, to travel abroad, whether all the way to Peru or whether it's across the street to Raybrook or to Easttown or to some place where we're serving as an internship or a volunteer, that, Lord, we will indeed be salt and light as you have named us to be. We pray that we will not be ashamed of our faith, but that you, Holy Spirit, will prod us to say exactly what we need to say when we need to say it. You have promised us that when the time comes, the words will come. And we have seen that happen again and again. And so we praise you for that and look forward to more fulfillment of that promise. And we thank you for the Bible studies that started this week. We thank you that already people met new friends and gathered around your word. And we were challenged again to remember who we are in you. We thank you for the word 
and we pray a blessing on our community as we center ourselves on it, that these words that you, Jesus, spoke years ago will be just as convicting and challenging and blessing to us as they were to the people who first heard them. And so, Lord, we ask now that as we open your word, come and speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. So we're turning to which book of the Bible? Very good. Which chapter of the Bible? Good. Matthew 5. Can be found in your pew Bibles on page 786. 786 on the pew pew Bible that's around you somewhere. Matthew 5, reading verses 13 to 16. We're spreading the Bibles out back there. We're good. Do you guys have Bibles in the back? Nodding. Appreciate that. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You can imagine with me Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the two sets of brothers who first heard Jesus say these things. You can imagine them hearing this, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and them kind of looking at each other going, no, you're not. (laughs) Because some of you have brothers, some of you are brothers, and you know that when someone says to your brother like, hey, you did a really great job on that project, what do you have to say? No, you didn't. You can imagine them at intermission, if there was one in the Sermon on the Mount, going out and saying to each other, did you hear that whole salt of the earth thing, light of the world thing? Yeah, you are so not that. (laughs) I have grown up with you. I know you. Not so much salt. Salt was a vital part of life. They used it for all kinds of things. They used it to preserve meat. They used it to purify. They used it in their sacrifices. They used it to wipe down newborn babies. It had all of these functions. It was a vital part of society. I'm going to guess from what we know about Peter, Andrew, James, and John that no one ever said to them, you are a vital part of society. You are a core nutrient. Without you, we die. No one had said that to him. No one had lived that. No one had spoken that over them at all. And the whole light of the world thing, the light of the whole world, They must have thought, what is he talking about, this Jesus? What is he talking about? We're like fishermen, and the rest of the people on this hill, they were were wounded and broken and sick until about, you know, 30 minutes ago. (laughs) What is he saying? There had to be this resistance. 
And the reason we think that is because Jesus is so intentional. The Greek is like, you, yeah, no, no, you, really, you, you, salt of the earth. Y'all, y'all, light of the world, you, real, no, you, look at me, you are the light of the world, you. And you know they had to be like, I really don't think we are. And if we're honest, we have that same kind of resistance now. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we look around and we're like, I don't think we are. I think this passage can be particularly challenging maybe for some of us who've grown up in the faith and grown up with these words, people saying to us, go be the light of the world, go be the salt of the earth. And we thought, oh, the pressure, the pressure. Be the salt of the earth. I don't know about that. And you kind of grow up with it. One of my first jobs was working as the locker room attendant at the Holland Community Pool in Holland, Michigan. Yeah, shout out, Holland, Holland, Michigan. Woo! See, it used to be, now it's called the Holland Aquatic Center. Back, back when I was, it was just a pool. And, and I was the locker room attendant, which meant that I sat in the locker room during open swim to be sure that nobody stole anything, um, usually reading a novel. And then, after everyone was done, I would mop out the floors and spray down the showers and do all the gross things that have to be done. Many, many gross things. And, and at the end of my shift, one of the lifeguards came in, and I didn't know her very well. She went to a, a college in Holland, Michigan that I wasn't particularly familiar with. And, uh, and she was like way older than I was, because I was like 13 and she was like 19. Yeah, she was so old. And, and I hadn't worked very many shifts with her, so I didn't know her really well. And she came, came in and uh, started getting her street clothes on. I'm mopping the floor. And she starts to say to me, hey, my brother was in a bad accident this weekend. And I was like, oh. And so she begins to tell about her brother, and she's worried, and he's still in the hospital. And she was going to go home for the weekend and be with her family. And in my head, I'm thinking, you need to tell her that you'll pray for her. You need to tell her you're praying for her brother. You need to tell her you're praying for her family. But I thought, she's 19. I'm just a kid. I can't do this. And so the shift ended, and she left, and my mom picked me up, and I went home, and I just thought, oh, I just failed. I'm supposed to be the light of the world. I can't even be the light of a locker room. Right? We just have this like, oh man, the pressure, I can't live into it. I don't, oh Jesus, come on, give me a break. But the truth of it is, Jesus is giving us a break. Because he doesn't say to us, try really hard, as hard as you can, to be the salt of the earth. Try really, really hard with all your might to be the light of the world. Try harder. Like me cheering KHBR in the tug like, harder! Pull harder! Jesus isn't doing that. He's not doing that. What Jesus is doing here is performative speech. He's actually calling something into being that wasn't there before. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's like when an umpire sees the ball travel from the pitcher to the plate. In a moment, he has performative speech. Strike, he says. 
Before, it was just a baseball, but now it's a strike. When a judge is listening to two sides of a case and she comes down on one side and says, you are innocent, that's performative speech. When a clergy person stands before a bride and a groom, there's a moment when she says, by the authority vested in me, by the state of Michigan and the Church of Jesus Christ, I pronounce that you are husband and wife. Before that, they were just regular people. But with a performative speech, she says, you are now husband and wife. Oh, the power. <laughs> Jesus says to these disciples, to these broken ones who are gathered together, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And you, disciples, don't have to do anything. You are this. You are living into this. And this was a big counter to the secular philosophies of the day. Those of you who have studied ancient philosophy, those of you who have read Plato and Aristotle, and let's just say, who wouldn't? Yeah, shout out to the classics majors, whoop. And anyone who has to take core, whoop. Um, <laughs> so the secular philosophers said it was about virtue, it was about being a better person. Aristotle came up with this whole thing, this whole system that said this is how you try to aspire to be a better person. And he imagined the great souled mortal, that was his idea. It's, it's fun to say in Greek, but great-souled mortal is what it means. And, and he said, if we just aspire to that, just work hard and become that person, that's good for our world. Jesus is like, no, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, no. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because of what I am doing through you. It's not about what you are trying really hard to do. It's about what I am doing through you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, the chemists among us, whoo, shout out. Are you the only one in the house? Someone for Professor Grandwin. Anybody, anybody give a little love to the chemists. That's All right, that's enough love. One is enough. Is that critical mass? One chemist? <laughs> There's a joke there somewhere. All right. <laughs> so the chemists in the house say, what is Jesus talking about when he says this, if the salt loses its saltiness, blah, 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 because NaCl is a very stable compound, is it not? <laughs> I studied this week. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's a stable compound. It can't really lose its saltiness. Even when it melts, it still retains its saltiness. When you stir it into hot water, you don't see it anymore. Water, still salty. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, the salt that they used in his time, scholars believe, most of the salt they got was from the Dead Sea. And it was combined with lots of other minerals, many of which were in the shade of the white family. So by the time, the shade of the white family, you like that line? Um, so by the time it got through and it was refined and all, there would be this kind of mix. There would still be a mix of stuff in your salt. And eventually, you'd be like, oh, that's not good salt. That, that doesn't taste good. That's kind of lost its saltiness because of how they understood the salt to be. They thought that was just all part of the same thing. And in fact, lose your saltiness became an idiom that was like being foolish. 
Oh, that guy's totally lost his saltiness. Right? He's acting foolish. He knows better. And it's not the Greek sense of you know to do better and you're not doing it. Losing your saltiness in the context where Jesus is talking about it is you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting that I have spoken words of blessing over you. You're forgetting that you are the salt of the earth. You're forgetting that your identity is not about what you do, but about whose you are. That's what it means to lose your saltiness, and that's foolish. And then on the, the light of the world, when he probably said this line about no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, people probably laughed. It's hard to know the humor in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's probably like he was like, guys, look, nobody lights a lamp and puts a bucket on it. And they're like, no, nobody does it. That's so funny. That's so, right? <laughs> Can you see how funny that would be if you were, oh, everybody gave Jesus like charity laughs too, because, you know, he could do anything. So, so he puts it on the lamp and everyone's like, oh yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. They're like, yeah. In the same way, he says, let your good works shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. And here again, it's a turn from secular philosophy because secular philosophy said, you be a person of virtue so that everyone will look at you. You be a person of virtue so that you get greater status in society. Be a person who does good deeds so that everyone will glorify you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not it at all. Because we all know you. We know that you wouldn't be able to do anything if it wasn't for the work of God in you. So when you're shining your light to the world, it's so that other people can see what God has done in you. It's like in the movie Brave. How many of you have seen the movie, movie Brave? Great. It's a cartoon movie. Uh, the heroine has lots of red hair. She's a great archer. She's supposed to have an arranged marriage. She's not so much into the idea. And at various points in the movie, she goes off into the woods. And when she goes off into the woods, there are these little blue lights, these little wisps that come up and lead her into the next thing, right? And one will pop up and she'll get close to it and then another one and another one and another one. And she follows the trail. And when she follows the trail of light, it brings her to a fuller understanding of her story, a fuller understanding of the story of her people, a fuller understanding of the story of her parents. As she follows the light, it brings her to a fuller understanding of who she is. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, who's the one who lit you? He did. It's not a trick question. He did. Who's the one who lit you? Jesus did, yes. So what he does when you, we are the light of the world is that he places us in certain places, the exact place where someone needs to see us and follow the trail that will bring them to a fuller understanding of who they are and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our joy to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So when he says, do all these good works and people are going to glorify your Father in heaven, it's a perfect compliment to what Paul, the Apostle Paul, later says in Ephesians 2. He says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, so none of you can boast. 
For we are, Ephesians 2.10, for we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life, prepared in advance for us to do, maybe the tradition that you know. God prepared these good works ahead so that as we go through our days, he's constantly like, oh, you're going to tip a little salt right there. That's going to be great. Go for it. Yep, right there. Nice. Thank you. Oh, now a little light, a little light, a little light. And there you go. Great. Way to go. Way to go. High five. Good job. That's how Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's not like, y'all need to get your act together. It's I have prepared things for you to go out and do, and this is going to be fun. Go out, be the salt of the earth. Go out and be the light of the world, and let's see what we can do to this place. I had this great conversation this week with Gary Schmidt. Some of you know Gary Schmidt. He's a professor in our English department. He also, uh, yeah, shout out to English, okay. I think we're humanities, sciences, we've kind of covered the waterfront today. So, so Gary, uh, Dr. Schmidt to you, was talking with me this week about how because he was a National Book Award finalist last year, he was invited to be on the judging panel this year for young adult novels. And so, every day, I kid you not, he is reading five novels. Yes. It sounds like fun at the beginning, But when you're up to like, you know, novel number 389, it's getting a little thick. So he's reading all these novels and trying to evaluate them and seeing if any are worthy. And what he said to me was, he said, Mary, it's really interesting to me, as I read young adult novels, as I read all this fiction, and I look at characters who are people of faith, he said they generally fall into one of two categories. Either they're a little odd, quirky, and irrelevant, or they're mean and judgmental. In young adult fiction, he said, I I have yet to find a character who's a person of faith, who's devout and kind and someone that you want to be around. Some of you are going to be authors. Some of you are going to be publishers and editors. Some of you are going to be marketers. What kind of literature are you going to promote? What kind of literature are you going to write? How can you be salt and light in that particular industry? How can you go out and be light for Jesus? Some of you are youth group leaders. You work with wildlife. You work with young life. What are your students reading? How do you help them talk about it? How do you help them think about it? Some of you are going to be teachers. What are you assigning to your students to read? How are you helping them evaluate it? These are all ways in which God has prepared in advance good works for us to do, and we get to go out and be light and be salt. Another example We bring a lot of different types of bands and music ensembles to campus, lots of different kinds, and they fall across the faith spectrum. And one of the reasons we bring them here is so that we can listen to music and we can discern, right, that's our our word. We discern, we evaluate, we think it through. And one of the questions we need to be asking is, "Does does this draw me closer to Jesus? Does this convict me of sin? Does this make me want to be salt and light in a whole fresh way? 
And another reason we bring these people from across the faith spectrum to campus is because we get to be salt and light to them. For some of these bands, we are the only Christian college on their schedule. What would it be like if when we were helping them set up or when we were thinking about the concert that night, we said, we're praying for you today. We're praying that you have a great show. We're praying that you have a safe tour. We're praying that you don't get sick. We're lifting you up as a community this week as you come to our campus. It's not just that we bring them here and we let them play their music and we send them out. We bring them to this campus that's been claimed by the name of the Lord Jesus. And we get the opportunity to be salt and light to them. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So one of the things I invite you to do as we sing this next song and go through our next exercises, as we think about being light to the world, is listen. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe vocationally, he's prompting something in you, and you think, I could be salt and light there. I know I could. Maybe relationally, there is someone that you've been praying for for a long time for them to come to a saving knowledge, and he's going to give you a little word about how to be salt and light to them. Or maybe there's someone else who can come at them from a different angle than you can. So vocationally and relationally, and maybe right here on campus, you may not be able to be the light of the world, but can you be a light in a locker room or in a dorm room, on a floor, on a team, with your friends, in your apartment, in your house. It's a great thing that we have as living as disciples of Jesus Christ is that he has performed this speech over us and said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and there are good things for you to go out and do. Do not be afraid. Take joy in your calling. Take joy in your anointing, for you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that as we sing, we will listen, that you will prompt in us a person, a place, an area, a field where you have prepared in advance things for us to do. And help us to go without fear, knowing that you never let us go. Help us to not be afraid because you have called us by name and we are yours. Help us to not be afraid because our Lord Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death and hell. Help us to not be afraid because we are children of the resurrection, children of light, children who are salt because of you. In your name we pray, Jesus, and all God's people say,